Hey, Sam. Hey, Luke. What's, uh, what's wrong, buddy? I just watched the hit 2004 film Troy starring Brad Pitt and Eric Bana, but I don't know if it's accurate at all. Hey, we've all been there, friend. This has you pretty messed up, huh? Well, I have good news for you. Ah! Jesus! I'm a doctor. Of medicine? Even better, classics. And I have all the answers for your burning questions about myths, ancient Greco-Roman history, and the movies. Where can we get this incredible medicine? Over on the podcast, Greased Lightning. It's on all your favorite podcatchers. It will be the sweet ambrosia of the gods. New episodes every other Monday. Two words to me in three years of Bret Hart Back to Hanksy Panksy, a podcast where two dumb idiot best friends fill themselves mind, body, and soul with stars-controlled movie footage of sardine and pretzel aficionado Tom Hanks. I'm Sam Siegel, and I'm one of those dumb idiots. And I'm your creepy-ass German neighbor, Luke Patrick. <laughs> uh, Sam, we got somebody new here today. We do. Uh, today we've got in our virtual studio documentary film producer, comedian, Upstart New Yorker and unverified Jeff Goldblum neighbor, Joe Lusby. <laughs> hey guys, thanks for having me. Hey. That's a hell of a string of titles. Hey, you've earned them. Uh, <laughs> so, so this week we've we've done a bit of a an '80s uh, retrospective. Luke, I believe you called it "Hanks in the Rear View." Hanks in the Rear View, just taking a general <laughs> look at what Tom Hanks did that we all saw. <laughs> in the 1980s, and uh, and and for this, uh, Joe, you picked that we would rewatch The Burbs, uh, 1989's uh, classic. Yes. Can you can you walk us through why you picked The Burbs? Uh, yes. Hold on one second. Yo. <laughs> some, some neighbor noise there from Jeff Goldblum in the background. <laughs> um. Okay, so sorry about that. Why, uh, why I picked the Burbs? Yeah, um, yeah. What's what's your journey with the Burbs? I know you've got a bit of a, a history with it. So, well, I think it's twofold. One, uh, the Burbs is a cinematic masterpiece. I think it is uh, film perfected. This is American Hollywood at its peak. Mm. Um, and also, uh, my family had some weird obsession with this, like, 50% rating on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> Tom Hanks movie, and we watched it uh, all the time, and so it's, like, seared into my mind. Okay. And so, yeah, you said 80s Tom Hanks, I it wasn't even a question. Of course it was going to be The Burbs. Yeah, before I even suggested that that uh, it would be the '80s, I was just like, "Hey, we're gonna rewatch a Tom Hanks movie." You you basically screamed uh, the verbs <laughs> at me. Yeah, I, now that you mentioned that, yeah, if you had picked any time period, <laughs> it would have been the birds. It the doesn't birds matter. Is, it's it's uh, the best. So so uh, when did you last watch the Burbs? 
Um, I can honestly say I saw it again a couple hours ago. And and how was that watch? It was phenomenal. I can honestly say I was like, dang, man, I've seen The Burbs so many times. I have to watch it again to refresh <laughs> um, so that I know what I'm talking about on the podcast. Redose and The Burbs. Soon, as soon as I hit the space bar on the stolen copy, um, <laughs> the, the score begins, you know, like even with the, the logo. Mm-hmm. And I was like immediately entranced. I was like, oh, wait, this is going to be this is going to be amazing. Hell yeah, and, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you got that. You got that good energy for it, mm-hmm. Luke. How was how was your watch? I, I'm very pleased to report that I'm matching Joe's energy here because I was pretty non-committal towards the burbs the last time. I, I didn't stop in the cul-de-sac. I definitely just drove through like a prowler and then mm-hmm. left. But I'm happy to report that this time I did in fact park the car and get out and have a couple brewskis with the people in the neighborhood. Um, <laughs> It was way better this time. I don't know what it is. I genuinely think that this movie goes down smoother the more times you see it. So, I don't know. Maybe I'll dip back in here in the future just for the fun of it. But oh. it was uh, it was way smoother this time. How about you, Sam? Uh, so, I uh, I think a little bit like Joe kind of was, was hesitant to rewatch it. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I came down, uh, woke up a little earlier than usual uh, yesterday morning and, you know, got ready to watch it. I got my, my Cocoa Puffs, which I do need to take a moment. <sighs> oh, God damn um, it. No, no, there's something here. Uh, even General Mills agrees that Cocoa Puffs fucking sucks now because I saw a story that General Mills is like, all right, you got us. We're going to go back to the old flavors. Because <laughs> uh, they were better, and uh, and Cocoa Puffs is now more chocolatey. Uh, so, <laughs> but more, more chocolatey. Yeah, I have no idea how that's going on the back end, but I'll take their <laughs> word for it. Well, I got to tell you, it's a low threshold to hit because boy, these things don't taste like chocolate <laughs> at all. Man, I like um, that even on the wasted minutes of this podcast where you complain about your cereal, you manage to find conspiracies. Yeah. You know, I, I'll say it's ruined my life a little bit because I can't stop seeing conspiracies. Yeah, clearly. You mean the truth. You know, you've got a point there, Joe. Uh, no, it's no conspiracy that it's just sawdust. That's all, all every breakfast cereal is. Sawdust but, and childhood memories. But yeah, so I sit there with my, my subpar cereal, and uh, and I was just, I don't know, just not quite certain I was ready to rewatch it but man I hit that zoom in where you're closing in on that neighborhood and I was like fuck and yes I am into this and nice. it, it was a great watch that was a bold effect for those times oh hey you know uh, satellites as- <laughs> satellites were new back then I think looked a little dated <laughs> it's, it's a little rough around the edges I don't know what about this Play-Doh world that we zoomed in on wasn't uh, didn't look modern to you, with its very <laughs> blurred edges and contours. The last thing I'll, I'll I will say about the zoom in is, did you guys notice that they used a model for the neighborhood for oh, some yeah. reason on only one shot of Holy the entire shit. movie? No, so you're telling me <laughs> they a had model. a they had a model in the wing. That means they blew up an actual house. The house looked real. It looked like the, all those shots looked really good, and I was, and that's what I thought. They, oh, it's just for the for the blow up scene later. And I, and I was paying attention to the movie. It's like, 
what the hell is this one-off model scene that's like you could definitely do in camera, you know? And they did later. Okay. Ah, sorry, that's the tangent that I... Oh, no. See, see, that's why I got uh, such big Beetlejuice vibes from it. Because it, it reminded me of, like, the model neighborhood in Beetlejuice. Oh. Yeah, you're right. Although yeah. they wove they oh. that into the fabric of the narrative. What Joe is they positing did. here is that they somebody slaved over this thing for hours and hours. <laughs> Someone's nephew was a modeler, and they were like, I, got, I can get you a job, man. And they were like, we have no need for a model. And he's like, please, hook him up. My, my nephew Garfield makes models. <laughs> you, you guys reference Beetlejuice a lot, and I just need to go be up front and say I haven't seen it as like a person I, a person with an adult brain. Mm. I saw it when I was like a child, and I can just say that I only know like the taste in my mouth of Beetlejuice <laughs> of like weird terror. Isn't that everyone? I I don't know that any human has seen Beetlejuice as an adult. I think it's just sort of like remembering that time you licked a battery. And, uh, yeah, you can kind of feel it and you taste it, but you can't describe <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. It's some, some tingling sensation, but Oh, that's um that's uh that's that Beetlejuice energy, isn't it? <laughs> Beetlejuice. You know what I'm talking about. We all know that shared hive mind of weird that guy with the weird pants and yeah i you guys referenced it in the last podcast i just wanted to be up front i haven't seen beetlejuice but if it has beetlejuice vibes um that's beetlejuice's fault not the bird yeah (laughs) (laughs) i i think that's a fair assessment and i feel like having just the aftertaste of a vague memory of beetlejuice is very applicable because i feel like that's sort of what this is embodying. Or maybe the inverse. Maybe there's just a general taste in, in the air during this period of the 80s where people were trying to harness some kind of strange, suburban-focused, but yet, like, dark energy. Um, in, in one mm. situation, it expressed itself through uh, Michael Keaton? Michael Keaton, right? Yes. Yeah, Michael Keaton with the striped pants. And then in this, we get Tom Hanks and charred nipples. Both yeah. same source, same source. <laughs> Radiating dark energy. <laughs> so I, I do have to ask this every time. Uh, Luke and Joe, did y'all miss Tom? Yeah, I'll jump on this first. Um, I actually did miss Tom, and I was really looking forward to giving the Burbs a second chance because I did suspect that it would go down smoother, which maybe was a self-fulfilling prophecy because it did. And now I'm, I'm overthinking it. So I'm going to move on. Joe, when was the last time you saw Tom Hanks? Well, I guess before this movie. I play some internet games on a Discord server. And one day, like a couple weeks ago, someone just started streaming Terminal, <laughs> the Terminal. <laughs> just like live. And there was about an hour where we were all silent just watching <laughs> this torrented version of the Terminal, like... In 720p, and uh, I was like, "Oh man, it's been so long since I've seen Tom Hanks in anything." And this weird, like, borderline offensive accent is really doing it for me for some reason. And uh, it was phenomenal. So to see, I honestly, I did miss him. I saw, I saw him on this, and was like, "Oh, it feels good. Be feels good to be home." Nice. Famously, the Terminal is the one movie that Sam's seen. Uh, before this project that Tom Hanks has produced. Yeah, pretty much. 
and I got to say, having seen it, I think the best way to view it, and, <laughs> and I don't want to get too off topic looking in the future, because this is Hank's in the rear view, um, but I think the best way to watch it is low resolution in a Discord stream. Yeah. <laughs> blurry, very blurry. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, Nothing's lost. That's that's the way the director intended it, I yeah. think. But I like this focus, Sam, on uh, Hanks in the past tense, only looking backwards at, at the Hanks. Yeah. So what was what was the opinion here? I mean, obviously, Joe, you're you've liked this movie for a long time. Did it did it stand up to the test of time? What's your review of it this time around? I think that it it is ages like a fine wine, especially considering the '80s. Uh, sometimes. They weren't uh, really that progressive, let's say. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, but this movie, I think, you know, it's with its quirks, it has aged very nicely. I think it still holds up. Nice. You know, that's actually a really good point, because thinking back on it, this, uh, I think, is maybe the only movie from this decade that's not actively offensive. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the only yeah. one that, that dodges it by just not even beginning to tread in those waters. Like, at what point would it have been problematic? Right. I mean, with the women, perhaps. But even then, it, it shows them as, as I, you know, I wouldn't say three-dimensional, but yeah. two-dimensional. Yeah. Yeah. They There are some, um, like, misogynistic side remarks, but they're always made by the imbecile character. And so it kind of equalizes in that regard where it's like, well, of course, that's a, a dumb opinion because it's coming from the dumb guy. Yeah. Right. And then everyone else treats women with respect for the most part. Very even true. Rube. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I think it I think it actively doesn't sabotage itself. Let's say that. It's not <laughs> yeah. it's not it's not winning any awards uh, for being very progressive and yeah. woke. But it's also nineteen eighty nine and during anything in the 80s is if you're just not actively offending people then i think that's a, <laughs> a win in the history book yeah don't we fucking know it <laughs> along this line actually it, i did miss this the first time around but at the very end i missed when art the dumb guy goes my wife did you guys catch this and we like get that, a big zoom in one of my family's favorite lines that we say all the time <laughs> he says yeah art your wife is home and your house is on fire. <laughs> he goes, my wife is home. That's, that's like that's comedy. I think. Yeah. Persona. Oh, yeah. That's that's it. That's what comedy aspires to be. And we did it in 1989, <laughs> and it's been downhill since. Um. So so, do you have a favorite character in this? Ooh, gosh, I <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, I love them all because Hans is his own character study if you watch it enough you can start paying attention to like really minor characters and hans is great because his whole body language is so bizarre god yes it's just this three words he's so like wiry he he does this thing where they're they're at the dinner party and art breaks in and he trips the alarm and hans is the first one out and he just does this long arm point where it goes from yes. his hips, <laughs> and he yes. doesn't bend to elbow or anything. He just <laughs> points, and he somehow is so long and so hunched and shriveled at the same time. It's it's hard to wrap your mind around what his body is is doing. 
it's it's genuinely impressive because yeah he he sort of like kind of crumples himself into this ball but he's also like it just bones it's just like a <laughs> like bone sticking out of a ball he's a skeleton i don't know who cast him but i don't think you could i don't think if you did it a million times i don't think you could get someone more perfect than whoever that guy is yeah oh yeah. You've never seen him again i don't have no idea Man, I, Sam, in, in Turner and Hooch, you pitched the idea that Hooch was exactly the limit of dog that America will still oh, be able yeah. to root for, like right <laughs> on the line of ugliness, Uh huh. where audiences will still go for him. I'm pretty sure they did the same exact thing with Hans's oh, beard. It, like, <laughs> it's the precise limit of this beard is too fucked up for yeah. me to still enjoy this character. Yeah, so so I, I imagine what they did is that they, they focus grouped it and they said, Okay, so we've got we've got a guy with this sort of patchy beard that looks a lot like pubic hair. Yeah. American audiences like how pubic can it look? <laughs> um, I, I can honestly say that the focus group was like, Oh yeah, this is the limit and the director said, No. <laughs> because I could not when I re uh, upon rewatching when they first show him the big reveal I was like oh my god is that really what, is that really what it looks like they really let that stay in the movie well and correct me if I'm wrong but does part of his beard disappear <laughs> I think it does I think it's like constantly molting or shifting because okay. he looks better at the end of the movie yeah he sure. loses some of the like front neck uh, beard. Maybe it's just the formal attire because I noticed this time too that he's in not quite later hosen. It's pretty yeah, much it's very later close hosen. to it. Yeah, he's got the little hat. Uh-huh. Hey Pinocchio. Yeah, he looks okay in that. <laughs> At the beginning, in the like in the the wife beater. Is that mm-hmm. even? Can you still even <laughs> say that? What is that? Uh, t- some strange tank top. Uh, it's not a flattering look, but oh, I guess no. that's the point. I, I guess I don't know what I don't know really what the, the direction behind that was but he did great I think I think Hans is the only person too that we know for sure method acted in this film because the guy <laughs> that plays him says at one point in the trash compacting scene when he's banging down the trash that he went like full method and just that wasn't part of it but he grabbed a thing and just started putting all of his rage into banging that trash down in there <laughs> delivering surprisingly the most commitment to his role out of anybody else as far as we know i don't know if uh, like art decided to method act this and move to like st paul minnesota for months <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I cannot tell if you're messing with me or not on this guy <laughs> beating the shit out of trash kids no that is I, that's real that is a real thing <laughs> oh my god I love it. Yeah. Why, though, why would he choose that to go full method? <laughs> well, can you blame him? How would he? Do, would you want to method act the other parts of what he's got going on? Yeah, I think he should fully live as a cannibal for a while. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> his uncles in a haunted house, a clearly haunted house. <laughs> yeah. So wait, hold on. You think the house is haunted? I mean. Let's just from an architectural, if you look at all the houses in the neighborhood, they all fit like a pretty standard Midwestern suburban neighborhood. Mm -hmm. This house is like this weird Victorian. It has like a big spire on it. The whole it's it's a transplant. I don't know if it's haunted (laughs) per se, but it's definitely it's 
It's it, out of place. It definitely clashes with with the established aesthetic of the neighborhood. But but haunted, I did, hmm. You know, I there are no ghosts to speak of. Not yet. You know, you've got a point. They do say that they murdered the Naps. Yeah, man. Uh, who previously lived there. In a literal trunk full of people. Bones. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. You know, you got a point. Well, well, Luke, do you have a do you have a favorite character? I really dug Ruben's performance this time. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, one I just love that his name is Brother Theodore, because that's amazing. Yeah, um, he's like Father John Misty. Like he just tacked something <laughs> onto his name, and now that's what we call him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Something about him this time really stuck out to me, just in the way that he delivers his lines, and he's. I have a feeling that he's a really phenomenal actor. I don't know anything else he's been in. Uh, I assume it's all German language stuff, because I think he's the only authentic German on set. But I'd be really curious to see more. I have a feeling that he's maybe like a German Michael Caine, and this was his swan song, and we totally just have not appreciated that. I could say in like the line of like Buster Keaton, he is he d- did the absolute most with almost no lines. Yes. And almost no movement. Super subtle, I think. Yes. Just is there, and his presence is known to yeah. all the characters. I just love the way he delivered his lines. Like, when they say... "What did, He asks him a question, and he just goes, No! It's just... Is, such... is that Slavic? Yeah, Klopek. <laughs> is that Slavic? No! <laughs> another, another line my family says constantly is, It was there... All day. <laughs> yes. I'm so mad about it. For some reason. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, I I lost my shit over it this time. I genuinely laughed my ass off. Um, oh, I, Luke, you don't know how happy it makes me <laughs> to hear that you you fucking engaged with the movie on its terms and you had a good goddamn time with it. Yeah, no need to be professional this time. That was my stated goal for the last time, was that I would be a goddamn professional and not just shit on this movie. I'm very happy to report I have no inclination to do that this time. No, honestly, I, I think it is my favorite episode uh, 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 movie from this decade. Yeah. Who was who your favorite, Sam? Did you have a new favorite this time? I You know, I got to tell you, I really love Mr. Rumsfield. Um, whose, whose name I can, first name I can never remember. Uh, Mark, Mart, Mark, Mark, Mark. Okay. Mark Rumsfeld. I always want to call him Donald because I always want to call him (laughs) Donald Donald Rumsfeld, Rumsfeld. but I don't want to put that on him. There's no proof that they're not related. You know, he's very heavily into military stuff. You never know. Yeah. And since we're not recapping the plot, just to fill in the gaps, Mr. Rumsfeld is the crazed Vietnam vet neighbor with the, we we have firmly established with the swinger wife. Oh, yeah. Total fucking cuckold. And I actually have a little more evidence for that. So um, he and uh, Mrs. Rumsfeld are working out in the lawn, uh, right? Yeah. Or, Or in the yard. And she's bent over, and uh, Ricky Dalton, Corey Feldman, great performance, great fucking yes, performance, stellar, is is ogling uh, Mrs. Rumsfeld's ass, and yep. uh, and tells her uh, no tan lines, uh, like great, and um, <laughs> and Mr. Rumsfeld is not seemingly bothered by this. He just says he's a meatball, and I think 
So, so she exchanges a glance with him before he calls Ricky Dalton a meatball. And I think this was really her being like, so I think I'll fuck him. <laughs> and, uh, and he goes, too stupid. <laughs> I, I don't know if you noticed that when he says no tan lines, he does a, a totally unnecessary pumping action in the paint can with the brush. Oh, I fucking <laughs> At the same time. That. He does a two, maybe three pumps of direct, <laughs> which is no anyone that's ever used paint, or even people that don't know about paint, you would say, you would say probably shouldn't do that. And he does it anyway, and it's 100%. He is sending vibes out, and the vibes are being received clearly yeah. by the swinger Rumsfeld. And, and I'll say, she seems up for it. It's yeah. just he seems hesitant because of how stupid Ricky Dalton is. Yeah. Do you think maybe Sam? Now here's a thought. Do you think this is part mm-hmm. of the patter that he she specifically tries to fuck guys that he doesn't like at a personal level just to heighten the cuckoldry? So now she's gonna go have sex with this guy he's labeled <laughs> as a meatball, and the mental torture of that that this is a man who's dumber. We keep saying, man. How old do you think Ricky is, Joe? Because we talked about this last time. He's 18, time. for sure. He's 18? That's my guess. Okay. That would be my guess, is that he's 18. Yeah. Because you could drink beer in the 80s at 18. I, kn- I heard your theory about art supplying minors with beer, but if I'm being completely honest, it's probably more like Ricky brought the beer. Uh, yeah, Ricky brought the beer over mm. because art doesn't provide anything for himself because he's a man-child. Yeah, art is a useless sack of shit, and I love him. He's kind of great. I also noticed you guys were really dogging on him <laughs> upon the first review, but upon further reflection, he is kind of living the dream. He's he's kind of the best. Yeah. He, and there's no evidence that he's even employed. That that I mean, he just it kind of exists in this neighborhood. And well, he has that phone company shirt that he wears before he climbs up the the electrical pole to electrocute himself. He has a, a myriad of costumes. If you notice, he's like almost one of the the best dressed. And I think that's part of his M.O. I think he oh, just shit. has a... I imagine maybe his wife is making the money and he's just kind of like this lovable man-child that she mothers. Yeah. And he has like a bunch of little coordinated outfits in his closet that he wears. Oh, for- I think that's a solid fucking theory. And I think she probably only keeps him around because she doesn't have to spend money on food for him because he eats everyone else out of house and home. <laughs> he, I, he pulls out the pineapple. Yes. That, that is a, class. Oh That's a great visual gag. Why the pineapple? What it's, are you going to do with it? It's that? the pineapple and him eating that dog food, taking that scoop of dog food and then being like, ew, gross, why did she cook that? Ugh. No, his character, I mean, even he takes the empty syrup bottle to the fridge and he puts it in the fridge and <laughs> leaves the empty one. He's like actively ruining their whole life. But that's the, that's his character. He's just shooting the gun and he breaks their their little sconce outside. Oh, yeah. He just is he's just terrorizing the neighborhood. He's the real he's the real murderer. He's the oh, real psychopath. For sure. Um I do so so we briefly touched on um issues of, of cuckoldry in the neighborhood and I, I want to bring up a, a theory that I came up with during during this watch and I think Tom's son is not Tom's I think it's Art's <laughs> okay you know because uh, well, 
Oh, Joe, do you do you have some supporting <laughs> evidence? Well, okay, so I was gonna say one, the, their marriage is clearly barely holding on. Uh, Tom and Carrie, the, yes. Oh yeah. He he does not ever address her without being at full volume, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like eight in the morning. She's like, "Are you gonna eat any of this?" And he's like, "No, I'm not." And then she kind of gives him like a, "Oh fuck this guy." And then the next <laughs> line is like. God damn it! <laughs> so, uh, but they met in college. I think there's a one-liner when they're watching uh, Jeopardy, uh-huh. and he's like, "Oh, you come out arms or something?" And she's like, "Oh, just like we met in college." And it was definitely they had like a college fling relationship, <laughs> and then either she became pregnant with someone's child that they <laughs> got forced they were forced to be married maybe and it could have been maybe they were kicking it with art back way back then <laughs> and she was like i gotta marry one of these guys and i'm not marrying art <laughs> and she was like just trapped him and was like this is your child so Tom hanks so the rare cuckold anchor baby <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a cul-de-sac I yeah mean, anything is possible so so can I present my evidence for why uh, Tom and Carrie's son is not Tom's? Yeah. Yes, I, please. I wish you would. Is it Art? Okay. Are you suspecting Art, like Joe suggested? Oh, yeah, no. Art is 100% the dad. Um, so so Tom's son, who, uh, for uh, as far as I'm concerned, is nameless, <laughs> it vibes so well with Art, especially mm. in that opening scene while they're eating breakfast, and it's like, Art and Tom's son like egging each other on and also smacking and locking eyes and it's like these they share some genetic material a hundred percent oh yeah I really like that scene actually yeah it's a great scene and uh, and like the son gets along with Ricky Dalton who also gets along with Art but not so much with Tom and yeah. uh, there there's some definite parallels there but it- the other bit is in the dream and so this is where it turns a little. I think Tom knows it's not his son because in Tom's like nightmare, you know, he comes down the stairs and he's standing next to the family portrait and it's Tom. And then uh, to the left is Carrie and kind of below and just a little bit to the right is their son. And the chainsaw rips through the wall and chainsaws down through that portrait and it cuts Tom off from Carrie and his son. Okay. Wow. And that's Tom's subconscious going, that's not your son. <laughs> well, that's Art's boy. He's the only thing that riles Tom up in the film ever that he ever like breaks besides the very end is when Art calls him out for being a chicken in front of his son. Mm. Remember, that's what triggers the. Oh, uh, them. yeah. He's like, oh, you're going to look like a chicken in front of your son. And he and Tom just loses his mind. Which is seemingly out of character because he's he's seems to be impervious to peer pressure and you know he's like kind of the one with his head on his shoulders, mm-hmm. and then Art starts digging at his son. I'm air quoting, and <laughs> all you. of a sudden it's a very sore subject. Uh, and yeah. So maybe he's compensating there. Yeah. Is your is your theory, Sam, that Art also knows that unnamed kid number one is his son? <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> to to answer that question, I'll ask you a question. Okay. Do you honestly believe that Art, if he knew he had a son, would take care of it? Hell no. Great point. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I can I can tell you with confidence, Art doesn't know what fucking town he lives in. <laughs> Art is out to lunch. 
So I think it's that's amazing. God, I love the idea that he genuinely doesn't know where he is ever, and so Skip, the murderous soda dude, that actually Mm -hmm. happened like in Florida somewhere, completely far (laughs) away from this. It's totally unrelated. But Art thinks that that's his town. Yeah, wherever Art is at that moment is where everything that's ever happened to Art ever has happened. <laughs> oh no, then he's almost like a Trumpian figure. <laughs> it's hard to distinguish um, for Art. That's why we get the zoom in. We're just establishing the, the Art context for this movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is uh, where Art is now. And then <laughs> I, I did notice just one more thing is that you know Tom goes out to walk the dog, runs into Art and Ricky Dalton, and then returns home without the dog. <laughs> don't worry about the, don't worry about the dog. You guys said that they left the kid, but they did not leave the kid. Uh, you're gonna have to prove that to me because I was on Sun Watch this week, and <laughs> Carrie Carrie Fisher goes up to to the extended family's house and comes home with two dogs and no son. Not to go off the rails on a tangent, but I just I it's in my notes. I was like this movie is very good at at consistency. Usually they're not flubbing on stuff like that, especially not as big as a human child. Um, and they, they he says like, "Oh, have fun at Evolt or what, you know, whatever her sister or mother's name or something like that." And he looks at his son and says, "Have a great have a good weekend." And then they, and then he says something along the lines like, "I'll see you later tonight," to his wife. Gotcha. So his son is staying there for the weekend. So they did very. It's very lazy, but they <laughs> did with almost probably half of a sentence of dialogue. Go ahead and and paste over that that misjudgment of where what they're gonna do with their kid during the bones scene. That's that's good to know because my theory, working theory, was that the kid had a scheduling conflict because he had to go shoot Stranger Things or something, and so they just <laughs> wrote him out of the last part of the movie. They were like, just replace him with the dog. The dog's in the front seat. No one will notice. I mean, I like to think that they just forgot to have him in that scene and they couldn't blow the house up again and get all those extras, so they were like, just just put in some dialogue. <laughs> they, they they dubbed it later. It's yeah. It's like you you don't see either one of the characters, and Tom Hanks is like. See you later next Monday, son. <laughs> they're like, whoo. Well, and and I, not to jump into the conspiracy corner too soon, but no, it is definitely because Carrie Fisher ate their son because they're both lizard people. Now, this is Tom in the Hanks in the rear view, just to just to pivot here for a moment. And and we were talking about this beforehand. Uh, and Joe, you've actually seen a lot of Tom's movies from the eighties. Big fan. And uh, and so. I, I want to ask you, Lawrence Born the Third of Volunteers, Josh Baskin from Big, and Ray Peterson from The Burbs, fuck Mary Kill. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa. Okay. What was the first one? Lawrence Born the Third from Volunteers. Oh. Lawrence Born the Third. Yes, Lawrence Born the Third. So fuck Mary Kill from the Volunteers. Big. Oh my god. Oh, what? Okay. Big's well, a variable, Sam. That's completely unfair. So, okay. To so big, I have to kill him. Yeah. Because I'm not going to fuck or marry a, a child in a man's body. I I think, you know, I think there's a way that you can work around. I mean, it. legally, because his body is. But I'm just saying that. 
No, I mean, just, I'm not let's saying just go ahead and be safe fuck here. Him. I'm just saying that <laughs> marrying is technically an option. He's just sort of your man-child bride. Yeah, and then I'm married to Art. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Art with an actual job that pays pretty <laughs> fucking well. Oh, yeah, he'd become... Yeah, I forgot how it is. He, he works at a toy company. No, okay, either way, he's dead, all right? He's <laughs> okay. dead. He, if, you have, if you've ever been a child, you're dead to me. Kill. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, the problem is marrying this flimp fish-handed suburbanite at the beginning of the movie, he's. I wouldn't. You don't want to be married to Tom Hanks in, at the Burbs because he's just a wreck. He's a mess. And even um, Rumsfeld says like he went out there and he didn't do he didn't do jack shit. <laughs> he's a fucking coward. <laughs> and so I don't want to be married to him. But I also I mean, do I want to fuck that guy? Like, mm, but I definitely do want to fuck the guy from the Volunteers. Because yes. it's a working for the weekend kind of vibe, you know what I mean? There's a lot of sweat <laughs> going on. There's a lot of some dirt on the on the back of the hands. There's some. They're, they're wearing khaki. Oh. So, okay. I got. I probably am still. I think that's gonna. I think I'm just gonna have a bad marriage, just like Carrie Fisher and Tom Hanks. I think it's just gonna be a terrible suburbanite, boring marriage, and I'll try and bang the neighbor lady, and uh, I'll be married to Tom Hanks from. The burbs and I will definitely have some very sweaty carnal hot. relations. Yeah, I want some. I want some malaria sex with uh, <laughs> Tom <laughs> with the volunteers. All right. Okay. Just like they want you to do in the Peace Corps, 100. percent That's in the manual. <laughs> yeah. Unprotected premarital sex on the job. Oh yeah, that's what it's all about, baby. <laughs> uh, Luke, your time is up. Oh man, I appreciate Joe giving me the time to think that one through. But I'm with him. The the variable of of okay. So here's what I'm gonna do. What was his character's name in Big? Josh Baskin. Josh Baskin. <laughs> so I'm going to kill. Uh, it could honestly be either Lawrence Fishburne or the Suburbanite. Couldn't give a shit because my plan. Okay, I'm going to kill one. I'm going to marry the other. Um, whoever out of those two, doesn't matter. And then I'm going to do the Zoltar. I'm going to Zoltar myself at the end of Big to go back to be a kid. Because now I've dodged a marriage. I've dodged a murder. And now I get to be a kid again. Because ain't nobody going to suspect my ass for doing either oh, of these things. And then eventually look, I'm going to grow up. Yeah, what? You got to do puberty again. Yeah, I mean, it's worth it to dodge those the, that rap in that marriage. Are you kidding me? I mean, you got a point. <laughs> <laughs> if you're ever going to do... I mean, this is a whole spree. I can do whatever I want and then just, you know, Zoltar myself. And now I'm off the hook. I can grow up. I'm obligated to have sex with this guy at a legal age at some point. Uh, I guess now my childhood best friend. So there's a dynamic. You know, there you uh, go. We're in, a, in a, uh, a John Green novel at this point. And then I'll just bounce and be an adult. Okay. You know, it sounds like you've put a lot of thought into this. <laughs> yeah, yeah I am, I'm honestly slightly angry that you've cheated the system. I had to I had to kill potentially a child in a man's body. <laughs> and you just get to live a new life. Yeah, man. You got to Kobayashi Maru this shit sometimes and just, just bust out of the rule sets. Clearly, I I did not think it through. I'm, I have malaria and I'm married to soft, <laughs> limp-handed 
<laughs> but all the memories, the all the memories you have now. Yeah. I figure it's probably my turn, isn't it? Yeah, Sam, did you want to take your own bait, take your own medicine here? Yeah, sure. So, um, I think this one's pretty cut and dry. You kill Lawrence Bourne the third, he's virulently racist and the world doesn't need him. Mm. Uh you fuck Ray Peterson, cause boy, that young Tom is pretty fucking hot and Ray Peterson gets us good good games out there. Yeah. And then uh you marry Josh Baskin, he's not interested in sex, he's too young. And uh you just get all the money and uh, a world full of childlike wonder. So, so damn, Sam. So instead of, I mean, obviously Joe and I were in the same moral quandary. You have decided just to commit to this bit and just marry the kid. You've married a kid, Sam. Well, look, okay. For- you gonna wipe his ass? <laughs> 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 oh shit. Um, no, he's old enough to wipe himself. I think. Um. <laughs> I mean, he is holding down a job as a VP of a toy company, so I would. Yeah. Kind of hope so, and and I imagine uh, the the woman that he's partnered with is not having a wipe for him because I feel like that's a real deal breaker. Unless um, she's into it, I don't know that, those high level execs. <laughs> you know, if she is, man, that's opened up whole new doors of our squidginess on Big. If that's the case, I've never considered the kink angle on their relationship oh, yeah. and how much more layers to that onion you're getting. <laughs> I think it's probably best not to consider yeah. the kink bit. Oh, God. Damn. Ugh. Ugh. Okay, let's fucking hit eject. Hey, I gotta I gotta cash some of Josh Baskin's uh, paychecks. Uh, can we run off to the Hanks Bank? Yeah, dude, please. All right. <laughs> so, uh, Luke, Joe, I'm I'm gonna need you, you fellas, to, uh, to gather around and... and Cover yourselves with this lead blanket, because it's time to come with me to the Conspiracy Circle. Ooh. Ooh, a little twist on it. We got 360 (laughs) degrees of conspiracy this week. Yeah, we're going to share some conspiracies with each other. Nice. Um... And uh, and Luke, you were you were talking some mad shit, yeah, <laughs> uh, about Ricky Dalton before I could even fucking take in this flick. So I gotta hear what you're bringing this week. Yeah, so I was texting you, Sam, while rewatching this. Um, I have a theory about Ricky Dalton, which is Corey wait, Feldman's wait. character. You guys are talking about Ricky Butler. Butler? Yes. Is it Butler? Ricky Butler. Oh fuck! Are you? I was serious? wondering. I was like, "Who the hell is Ricky Dalton?" <laughs> I think Ricky Dalton may be a real person out there on the web. Oh shit! You're right. It's it's Ricky Butler. <laughs> okay. Oh fuck! <laughs> I was like, I don't. I'm not really not sure if Ricky. If they're talking about Ricky Butler. Or if this is another. <laughs> this I mean, is why I refer to everyone by their actor's name. Yeah, Corey Feldman. <laughs> I really appreciate you saying that, Joe. Because if if you are Ricky Dalton out there, I apologize. And this is. <laughs> Not gonna be good for you, Bucko. Some <laughs> so. guy. He's like, what the hell? <laughs> okay, sorry. I just had to clear that up. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for avoiding a libel suit for us. That's great. Um, <laughs> I'm sure the producer will be very happy. So, Corey Feldman's character. I have a theory about him, and I have a lot of evidence to share with you, chaps, about this. So, my theory is that he is in fact Beelzebub. He is. Satan himself, the instigator, he's like a Bakken-style demon entity that stokes oh. everything bad in this neighborhood. And here's the goddamn evidence. So, within the <laughs> beginning of this film, he's the one that's out here 
who's like stoking the shit. He's, you know, bringing up stuff with the neighbors. Like he's the one who gets art to tell us about Skip, the murderous soda guy. He's the one that shares the absolute shit, scares the absolute shit out of Tom. Right? Like in the beginning, they're walking down the street and he goes like, Gah! and then oh, Tom yeah. screams. Uh-huh. He's bringing his friends over to watch the show. He makes the old guy, the old Vietnam vet, fall off a roof. He obstructs justice when the cops show up. Uh, Art's like, hey, stall him. And then with no hesitation, this kid is like, fuck yeah, let me go obstruct justice and get my piece of this. And his friends. Mm. His friends are in this too. And guys, the, the biggest clue in this movie is that at the very end, he uncovers all the skeletons. And he's the last character we see in this movie and it's when he dead eyes the camera we go full barrel and then he says he loves this neighborhood and that's it end of movie roll credits oh shit yeah dude i'm pretty sure this kid is satan <laughs> honestly that's not that's not a bad <laughs> it's not a bad theory. it's it's not at all it in fact my my conspiracy was very much related to that <laughs> yeah nice well let's Uh-oh. hear that one bud Okay, so I do believe that Ricky Dalton is central. Ricky, to, Ricky, to not the Dalton, not Dalton. God damn it! Ricky Butler, Corey Feldman. Corey Feldman is central to the happenings in this neighborhood, but it is not because he is Satan himself. No, uh, Corey Feldman is a lesser demon functioning with Atar, the greater demon who has ultimate control over both the neighborhood and also some of the natural happenings within it. Nice. So we see early on, Tom starts to step on the lawn of the Klopex uh, property um, to, to check out what they're doing, and the wind starts howling and blowing at him and, and, and discourages him from doing this. That's the work of Atar. Uh, and and uh, for those at home, and also maybe Joe... Uh, Atar is a is a demon prince, I believe, uh, who is uh, the head of the resurgent Fourth Reich, and we know about Atar and uh, his name from uh, the insignia that is uh, proudly displayed on the furnace in the Klopex uh, basement. Uh, and and I did send Joe an image of Atar. I have a printout of Atar here in my home, in my notebook that I look at longingly sometimes trying to figure out what what does Atar want mm. um, uh, and and here's here's my evidence for this when when they go and uh, when Tom and Art go knock on the door for the house the number falls down and it says 666 on the house this is a demon's home people yeah this is not Ricky's home but Atar's home oh mm. shit this is Atar's house and and he he will not allow anyone else in it. Yeah, real quick, Atar's house is my favorite failed '90s sitcom. Atar's house, come on down to Atar's house. <laughs> and uh, and and so so here here's the other bit here is that uh, uh, Ricky's parents don't exist. Uh, and, and that's because he is a, a lesser demon. Mm. Uh, and Atar has said, look, this is your playground. Enjoy. Uh, just protect my interests. He Atar strikes the house with uh, with lightning at one point. Mm-hmm. You know, these are all Atar's doing. In fact, uh, Atar even plants the dream in Tom's head. Mm. 
uh, to, to dissuade him from investigating the Klopek's house. His aim is, is to scare Tom away because he doesn't want Tom, a lizard man and a Mossad agent, to find out about what Atar is doing for the resurgent Fourth Reich. And once he finds out that, that really the, the Klopex goose is cooked, he says, you know what, Ricky? Let him go. Cut him loose. <laughs> and that's when Ricky unveils the skeletons to the police. Uh, this is all... This is all the work of Atar, a, a great demon prince. And and Ricky is, again, connected to it. Uh, he, he knows something's going to happen. Uh, and, and here's one more thing. When the furnace starts up, which I, I don't know about you fellas, but I think this furnace summons Atar mm. uh, to this plane of existence. You're thinking this is like an, an astral portal for Atar. <laughs> Your home furnace usually so. go to a 5,000 degrees? <laughs> exactly. You need 5,000 degrees to hey, summon Atar. Real quick, I looked it up. 5,000 degrees is exactly half the surface of the goddamn sun, if we're in Fahrenheit. <laughs> <laughs> These old homes are hard to heat. <laughs> Holy shit. And, and so uh, you see the, the furnace comes on I, uh, when, when Tom uh, is in there, I believe, and Ricky immediately turns and starts uh, and and runs when mm. the furnace starts up because Ricky knows Atar is coming. Atar coming. And he needs to be there for his for his boss for his prince his ruler. But that's you know that's mostly just my theory. Um, <laughs> wow. And Ricky even mentions that the last house was burnt down. And he says just like the movie The Sentinel where it's the portal to hell. He's like exactly. maybe they left the portal open. Quote. Hmm. Yeah, and Ricky's Ricky just kind knows. Of, he's just kind of baiting him along because Ricky, I imagine he's an agent of chaos where he's kind of just having fun. It, it literally, his playground theory is makes a lot of sense. Yeah, he's just, Ricky's in it for the lulls. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I don't think I don't think Ricky knows the larger machinations of Atar. No, and the Rube uh, and the gang is are clearly some worshiper, some some lower 100%. level. They are simply to doing the dark bidding, whereas Ricky is kind of. Maybe has a little more independence in his. Yeah, you're positing that uh, Ricky is like middle management for the ATAR group. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think so. And it's interesting uh, that you mentioned the dream because they, at the end of the dream, Tom Hanks yells, "Okay!" They uh, they say like, "Mind your own business" or something. I can't yes. remember the last line. And he says, "Okay." Exactly. <laughs> ATAR's like, "Get the fuck out of here! I'm trying to get summoned to this plane so I can lead the Fourth Reich and and lead them back to victory." Uh, but uh, Satan is a friend. Satan is our pal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the messages are all in here, folks. No, um, that's actually, honestly, these theories are starting to make more sense than the. I mean, what's the alternative? Ricky's just some <laughs> shithead over there that's <laughs> perpetually his parents don't care about. Yeah. I think it's far easier to believe that he's a, he's a chaos agent working for Atar, <laughs> Prince of Darkness. <laughs> I mean, he's hiding it real well down to, like, I called the pizza dude. Like, he's got, this is all a front. Well, it would make sense that he gets so much pure enjoyment and pleasure out of, like, you know, the death and pain of mm-hmm. of the lowly mortals. You know, this oh, truly yeah. to him is, like, this is all he gets, you know. When you're yeah. the, mm-hmm. when you're a, an agent of Satan, what, what do your <laughs> weekends look like if it's not... Yeah. See, maybe we'll see if the his we'll see if we can't get his uh 
his worshippers in some trouble. He'll like stoke the fire, quite yeah. literally. Wait, do you think maybe that the suburb, the little neighborhood, is hell? So that is part of my th- my uh, my greater reflection of the film. There's definitely oh. a commentary being made. Oh yeah, and that is one of them. Is this? It, uh, you can see on my notes, suburbs are hell? Question mark. <laughs> oh okay. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's it not. Does. Yeah, it's not even really that that hidden. It's not super veiled. It's kind of like yeah. No, this is where you go to die. It's the suburbs. <laughs> Yeah. No? So, Joe, are you are you positing that this is literally hell, or this is metaphorically hell, or both? It's where the that's the beauty of this film. They combine the metaphoric and the literal worlds. Mm. You say like, "Oh, yeah, living in the suburbs would be hell." And he's like, "Well, you know what? Mm. What if it really was hell?" I got gotcha. you. Oh, damn. And that's kind of the art piece of the movie because otherwise, it would be just a documentary about living in the suburbs for like twenty two years. Yeah. next to art and it, and it ends less way less dramatically where tom hanks hangs himself in the basement <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> holy shit oh. <laughs> we said punch it up mr lesby punch it up god damn it <laughs> what is this what is the spec script you motherfucker no now, Luke, I don't know that you can quibble since in our first shot at the burbs, you described a, a very realistic and distressing abusive relationship between the Rumsfields. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, between the two of us here, I think we've re- rewritten this to be a David Lynch film, uh, which I'm not opposed to. Um, well, so I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you guys did look up the director who directed Gremlins. Oh what? Oh, yeah, and small I did soldiers. See Holy shit! I didn't what, know he this. He did small soldiers. Yeah. Oh shit! And in the uh, the cereal that um, that Art slash Tom Hanks his son is eating is uh, the Gremlins branded cereal. You see the box. That's the right. Hot. Also, damn. I should mention when they're in the Klopex house, uh, Rube is is walking through the house, and behind him you can see the front door, which. Uh, if you look, the way the windows are arranged and, and the sort of separation between the windows does form an upside-down cross. Mm. <laughs> God, they were laying it on thick. Yeah, this is Atar's home. <laughs> mm. No, it's super, yeah, they, it's not like a, you know, like maybe, you know, like maybe you can stretch your imagination. No, it's label, labeled 666, <laughs> the upside-down <laughs> cross and a 5,000-degree oven with the Prince of Satan's face molded on the front. It seems pretty cut and dry. This, one, yeah. this is not a stretch. There, there is one thing that, that confused me. And, and at one point, Carrie is, is talking to them and, and is trying to dissuade them from continuing. And she says that they should stop before, and I quote, Someone falls off a roof or sets themselves on fire. And gentlemen, those two things exactly happen. I it is also in my notes why this is a cinematic masterpiece. The foreshadowing is beautiful. One character falls off a roof, one lights himself on fire, and one does arguably both when Art falls <laughs> off the telephone oh, yeah. pole and electrocutes himself. So so do you think Carrie Fisher has some sort of special ability in the dream. Remember, she's um, gosh, what is she saying? She's unharmed. She's unfazed oh, by shit. the terror. 
Remember that? She's like a ghost, like a friendly ghost that's on a, a platform, a pedestal, if you will. Oh, my God. And uh, through the smoke machine, she's revealed with the cool light effect happening. Holy I don't remember what she shit. Says, but she's unfazed by it. And Art is, aware, is also self-aware in the dream. Remember? He's like, hey, they don't know, but I'm, I'm actually shit. Art. So there's reason to believe that she would actually be Carrie Fisher. She would be her normal self, totally aware of what's happening. Do they all work for ATAR? <laughs> Maybe. Is this all a lost style plot just to torture Tom Hanks? This cul-de-sac may be like a snow globe, you know, mm. where all mm-hmm. the characters are set pieces and Tom Hanks is the only person that's real and he relives it over and over. And Damn. It's just this Jesus. like <laughs> this groundhog day of, of hell and pain. And this is where he like breaks the cycle, you know. Usually he minds his business and he oh. ends up becoming one of the victims and they just yeah. replay it over and over for him to to escape holy shit damn <laughs> you got something there man <laughs> fuck almighty <laughs> the, the joe dante or whatever, whoever the director is he was like god i was just trying to make a funny <laughs> he's like fuck <laughs> oh man trying to make some cash because gremlins is a couple years old and i'm not quite yet on to small soldiers well, well. Before he, we ruin his day any longer. Let's let's get the hell out of the conspiracy circle. <laughs> Man, I feel very satisfied exiting that circle, though. That was yeah. truly excellent. That was some good stuff. I'm gonna have a Tom Hanks Burbs nightmare tonight. <laughs> All of this. Well, nice, Sam. That was that was great. Um, and Joe, I know uh, we really want to hear more about why you think this is a criterion candidate but before then i've got just a couple of quick questions for y'all yeah go I'm for ready. it first question is what's their kids whole deal like <laughs> one he doesn't have a name but two what do y'all think is like what's he even do who who, who is this kid i mean i i think the answer is he's he's <laughs> art's son <laughs> uh he never goes to school they allude that it's a week like a week off Holy shit, oh, you're right. But he never goes to school, and then but Art makes a big deal of saying, hey, why aren't you at work? So, like, why wouldn't the kid be at school? Mm-hmm. And also, he there's, like, I thought re-watching, I was like, hey, maybe there's going to be some sort of arc about, because he cares so much about his son's opinion or whatever when he's being taunted by Art. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's going to be some sort of, like, resolution where it's like, well, at least Tom and his son are, like, you know, at least they're on the same page or something. Literally never comes up again. They ship him yeah. off. Yeah. To military school and you never see him again there's no he had he's the flattest character ever written he simply exists as a a mirror for art for in one scene yeah <laughs> holy shit you're well, right that's it, well, it does and, nothing and to show up while while tom and carrie are screaming at each other <laughs> only for tom to say we're having a conversation he's yeah he's clearly ignored She's like, hey, quit spying on the neighbors and then leave. And she literally does a thing where she puts her hand on his back and pushes him out of the room. And he just leaves. And that's like, and they're like, okay, parenting, check. It is 1989, so it was a little lax. I love it. We've, we've coined the phrase the Hanks rule on this podcast before. I'd now like to credit you, Joe Lesby, with creating the, the hand mirror, which is a character designed to show up for exactly one scene to be a mirror for somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> that's it he's a mirror of art and then he triggers the uh the sequence i i legitimately wouldn't doubt it if they wrote the script and they're like hey we need a, 
a better trigger for Tom to go and ring the doorbell. Yeah. And they're like, what would actually get him motivated to break his character's line? And they're like, fuck, what if you had like a kid or something? Yeah, like a like a like a cuckold kid. <laughs> so yeah, a little bit illegitimate child that no that no one in the neighborhood really likes that cares for. He's always hanging yeah. out with Ricky Butler, the clear stoner <laughs> slash agent of Satan, who doesn't even seem to notice him. No, he's just kind of he's just standing next to Ricky Butler, and Ricky Butler is fully <laughs> torqued, mouth ajar, slamming beers at nine a.m. just out to fucking lunch. <laughs> Damn, man, that was exactly what I was hoping for. Fuck yeah! <laughs> um, I would love to have some sort of like, no, if you look deeply, you know, here there's no nah, here. No, they just no. Nah, he could erase him, and it would do nothing to the film. Yeah, it just really <laughs> stuck out this time that this kid is about as flat as it gets. He's just a board with legs. Yeah. He, I, they, if actually, if you look in the fun facts behind the behind the scenes, he's actually a cardboard cutout. <laughs> they didn't actually pay him. Uh, my second question for the both of you is: uh, one of these people, at least one, uh, is Canadian. So who's Canadian, y'all? Whoa. Oh shit. And yeah, the question is: why would why would there if they're not shooting in Vancouver or something? Why would there be a Canadian? <laughs> why exactly <laughs> why mean, would like, you if ever we're just talking about the economy of production why would they fly someone out from canada there's only yeah. like 12 characters they couldn't find someone else <laughs> sam i'm gonna let you go first because i i'm actually just racking my brain which one could be the imposter i think i think it's art because we know that all canadians are freeloaders and <laughs> art is the consummate freeloader yeah i for the sport of it, I'm going to say Rumsfeld, because if there was any imposter, it would he would be playing the part of the ultimate American to try and hide the fact that he's he always says Suri. He's like, <laughs> right. <laughs> so he's trying to. He doesn't want. He's under witness protection. Canadian witness protection. <laughs> What's my part again here? Oh, sorry, guys. Vietnam vet. Oh, what'd geez. you say? What what'd you just say? And he's like, oh, oh, guns, Vietnam, PTSD. <laughs> I just okay. love guns here, guys. Yeah, when when I was in Southeast Asia, I brought uh uh I have I have a knife and I'm in a friend's house. <laughs> okay, he's cool. Uh, well, I regret to inform you, Sam. You are correct. Fuck it is yeah. in fact art is art. the Canadian. Freeloader. I'll, I'll never get. I'll never get Hank's your moneymaker. But I know a Canadian when I see one. <laughs> yeah, and now you've uh, just gone ahead and labeled all Canadians freeloaders by being correct. So uh, thanks to our Canadian <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah, <It's> hilarious. <laughs> the freeloader, the freeloader Canadian, the classic stereotype we're all familiar with. <laughs> the, the freeloading Canadian. Yeah, you know the. You know it's right up there with the Italian mobster. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's all the questions I have for the both of you. So, Joe, uh, do you mind telling us a little bit more about why why this movie deserves a shot at uh, the Criterion Collection? Okay, yeah, I would love to. And and feel free to call me on any of this. Um, okay. Because I'm biased, as we know. I'm not going to pretend <laughs> like this, like I'm some, you know, critic that hasn't seen this 2,000 times. Um, so, the reason that this is a masterpiece, I think, honestly 
from from the the notable movies of Joe Dante being gremlins <laughs> and uh, small soldiers. Uh, I think this is his peak in the seventies. It looks like he was directing some kind of low budget horror films, so mm. you can tell that he comes from kind of a horror background. But mm-hmm. if we're looking at the camera movement, the sound design, the scoring, the character development, not including the child who is basically cardboard <laughs> uh costume design set design lighting and then just general writing um as far as foreshadowing and gags i think that this movie if you if you separated them into into sections it would get five out of five on almost all of them mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the camera movement you don't see a static tripod shot um until a, a five minutes 40 seconds around six minutes Every shot for that is either a crane or a simple push in or pull out. But in the 80s, you couldn't just do that in post. Um, You couldn't even just do that with some handheld gimbal or light system. You had to have a track, which means these shots were actually pretty important. And they went hard in the paint. And they had to do it constantly. And it's very economical. Because where nowadays you would just set up another shot, a little cutaway, even if you mm-hmm. see you see a silhouette of a man in the uh, window when Tom Hanks is done smoking his cigar and he throws it out with the dog, and mm-hmm. the camera does a, a pan and it's just the corner and you see a window and then the light flicks on and you see probably Rube or the weird guy standing there. And that stuff is... It's pretty cool here and there, but to do it consistently throughout the entire film means that they spend a lot of time on it and they spend some money on it. And it, I think it really helps the visual flow. It's always moving. So that's my camera movement. Sound design is impeccable. I think we mm. all know that oh, when yeah. you hear that yeah, yeah. he steps in the poop and it squishes all the way down the street. You can hear it going. Oh, shit. Oh, damn, uh, dude. That <laughs> is... I did not notice that. <laughs> yeah, no. When Tom Hanks walks on concrete and then on grass, it makes different sounds. Holy shit. When he's shit. walking across his, his yard to the to the other dog to the other yard. I'm telling you, man, they went hard in the paint. The score, and you brought it up in the last podcast, you I have not seen a modern film with this dynamic of a score. Pretty brave. They even have a little dog mm-hmm. barking sequence. Yeah. Um, everyone has a theme, generally. Yes. Um, and it is baked so deeply and rooted into the film that you wouldn't, you couldn't watch it without the score. And mm. it's so integral. And you don't see that anymore nowadays. You see a bunch of temp tracks and kind of it's kind of lazy. And then you'll have some, you know, almost product placement style, popular songs. But this was a tailor-made score, and it, I think, it really helps drive the entire film personally yeah Yeah. for sure it it struck me as almost like um like a stage play in that like like almost like a musical Mm -hmm. but because it had all those tags and and the music is like you said just part of the movie yeah it it's it's not overly done but it's also by no means subtle it's it's as a character as tom hanks is it's like yeah oh yeah rooted and a lot more of a character than his kid is. <laughs> more, the, the, honestly, the, the soundtrack has more of a ar- character arc than Tom makes son. Um, and I love listening. If you ever, if you just want to get a taste for it, listen to the 
the credits track, the in track, and it does every person's theme in a row, and then the final movement, and then it ends. And so if you just want to like relive the whole movie, you can do mm-hmm. that, and it will play oh, everyone's shit. little section. It's pretty great. Costumes are pretty solid. You pretty much can look at every person like with a lineup and know exactly who they are from what they're wearing, which mm-hmm. I think is pretty great. It's maybe overdone sometimes, but if there's a photo of Rumsfeld and then there's a photo of Tom Hanks or Rube or Werner, you pretty much know what they're all about, and I can appreciate that visually. Oh, yeah. Set design is great. I think they just... It's not overdone. Lighting is almost seems like very practical. There's nothing like really overdone even when they do the tom hanks monologue where he pulls the wig out from under his pants and he says like oh, i'm yeah. i'm going over there and i'm not coming back until i f- find a body yeah <laughs> just a fucked mm-hmm. up little monologue they have it like this under lighting that's like kind of scary looking but it's like a comes from a practical lamp uh and the only time the lighting draws attention to itself is when he dr klopek is walking up the stairs and they do the shadow gag it's a big mm-hmm. tall shadow, and then it's a, he's a little man. And on IMDb, it says, "This is fun because that breaks the laws of physics." Because when <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that they broke the laws of physics to get that shot, <laughs> and it's worth it because it clearly, you know, shows a lot of intention. And yeah. I, I appreciate that. This is Neil deGrasse Tyson's least favorite movie. Um. But blah, blah, blah. So, like, those are, you know, just the general filmmaking stuff. I think they just do all of it excellently. It's very cohesive and smooth. But as far as comedy films go, and horror films, uh, but mostly I think this acts as a comedy more than anything else, they don't rely. Nowadays, comedies are pretty much improv dialogue, which Mm -hmm. I'm into. It's pretty funny. But this is so subtle one of my favorite gags is when Dr. Klopek is serving the everyone tea, and he says, oh, I set some candles up because I thought it would be romantic. And then he moves in front of the camera. The camera never, it does like a, a track, and then it he moves out of frame, and there's like 40 candles <laughs> yes. in the middle of the table, like a roaring fire. And, and they're like melting onto the <laughs> yes. table. And no one says anything. There's not like a sound effect, and it's not even like in the center of the frame. They don't cut. It's just that that is the whole joke. And to me, I was like, this is what I'm looking for. There was no need to draw attention to it. And the same with the actors, like, Rube is constantly staring at Tom Hanks, always with a frown. He's always looking at him, and he never breaks. And it's not, no one ever is like, hey, look at that Rube guy. They just let it happen, and they don't say anything about it, and that's that's just how it goes. Even, like, the light foreshadowing, like, oh, you've never, we haven't seen any, any deliveries. No one goes in, goes out. What do you think they're eating over there? And then they go over there and they're eating sardines and pretzels. <laughs> That's what they're eating. That's pretty fucking funny. So I, I mean, to me, the visual comedy and the writing being so subtle, because um, it did get bad reviews, but it's it doesn't hit you over the head with anything until it does, like the zoom in and out, you know, with the scream, uh-huh. and it hits you so hard that you're all, you're like taken aback. Um, and they and don't it's so good they, they don't it's not taken taking itself too seriously it's Mm-mm. like we're here for a good time we're here for a laugh but it's done pretty smart i think there's i think there is some general commentary about 
how suburbia can be hell and how it can kind of break people. And then... Oh, yeah. You know... I mean, there's, there's that whole, like, monologue that, that Tom does at the end where he talks about how basically the, the people in the suburbs are the the villains. Yeah, yeah. Tostada Tom delivers that monologue. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's... That's... Yeah, it's... I think that it's a smarter film than you would guess at first glance. I think upon first watching... You're like, huh, that was kind of like a weird, silly film with not a lot of laughable gags and not very, like, as far as the writing goes, it's not supernatural the way people speak. Sometimes you can kind of see the script bleeding through. People do a lot of monologuing and there's a lot of, like, where Rube will say, or, like, Rumsfeld will say something and then Tom will say something and then, but it's not, nowadays films are so natural in the way that they let people speak over each other mm. and... Mm-hmm. and kind of flub and so if, when you're watching it if you're really like really looking you can see like oh that's definitely like someone wrote that in a script like no one would really say like oh it's a cinch he didn't run for governor like no one says no one says <laughs> no one says that it's super weird are we sure even a canadian wouldn't say that Is yeah that it actually canadian? makes way more sense <laughs> um but like and the last thing i'll say about like the gags is um like he falls through the roof when he gets electrocuted and then that's a funny that's a whole funny scene and then later when they're trying to break in he pulls out his credit cards mm-hmm. and they're all melted yes. together <laughs> they didn't have to put that gag in like they could have the movie could have easily progressed without that and it happened like a good 10 15 minutes ahead of time so we could have just forgotten about it and left that gag in the dust but no they made they went to the prop department and they got some melted <laughs> plastic cards just for a one second gag where he pulls it and he just kind of <laughs> looks at it and he's like oh what and then that's it and that's the whole movie and the whole comedy is like just these kind of subtle like looks and pans at the camera and just characters existing as they are and that's why I think it's that's why I think it's amazing I think it's subtle where it needs to be it has fair commentary but it's not afraid to to poke fun at itself and be ridiculous. Yeah. I think it's a perfect film. Man, I love that. I haven't gone on this journey. I, I'm so glad that we got to revisit this and revisit it with you because that was exactly it. Like the first watch is kind of weird. You know, it's like borscht. You have borscht the first time, you're thinking, what is this? And then the second time, you're like, all right, I'm getting into borscht. And then I feel like <laughs> if I go back a third time, I'm going to just fucking tuck into a big plate of this. I'm really, really gonna dig it. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm. It is a brilliant film, and and you've totally won me over as far as thinking that it's maybe the best <laughs> film ever. Yes. Yeah, that's a hard case for yes. it. Yes. Oh. Uh, because because you make a solid point that like no shot is wasted. Like no, I would it, I would encourage you to look at what's not in the film, and that's why it's not offensive or less offensive. They don't ever talk. No one has a job. No one talks politics. There's no music. There's no art. There's nothing in this this igloo, this snow mm-hmm. globe, except for yeah. the except for the neighborhood. Yeah. And not Ricky Dalton, because there is nobody. <laughs> not Ricky, Ricky Dalton. Dalton. <laughs> Ricky Dalton sits outside and shakes the globe. Yeah. To to the Ricky Daltons of the world, I am very sorry for for slandering your name. I'm almost certain I did it in the last episode we did on the birds. <laughs> so. So sorry about that. 
Um, so, so Joe, do you have a, do you have like a favorite moment in this of, of what seems to be your favorite film? Gosh, I wrote even some that I just think are hilarious. That's, <laughs> I think it's when he says sugar substitute, Tom Hanks puts his hand on the glass <laughs> so quick. I think honestly, what gave me one of the biggest laughs watching it again, because normally I would say it would be like parked outside all day <laughs> uh, that would be the other one but what got me something got me this time that i swear i never really laughed at i think maybe honestly i think it's the candles i think he says that i thought it would be romantic for the ladies his delivery and then he just moves ever so gently out of the frame and it's this roaring fire and like no one no one says anything and i think he, Rumsfeld wife does like a like little side eye and that's like the whole <laughs> gag and they didn't play it up and I for some reason that to me was like god if I was gonna make something like a funny movie in today's climate like with all the movies that come out of just people talking over each other and and there's no nothing no real plot I'd be like man I want to make something like the burbs something that's a little smart I think the burbs was just a little smarter oh yeah than, people give it credit for i don't know that's my i think the candles is my favorite scene what do you, what about you guys you guys have a new favorite scene uh yeah so i think i think mine was the the sardine scene <laughs> like all of it but i think what what really got me was so so they offer it to uh mrs rumsfield and and she says i'm trying to cut back <laughs> And then they offer it to Carrie Fisher, and she's like, oh, like I'm full or something. And then they offer it to Tom, and it cuts to Carrie, and she just gives him this little, like, nod that's like, yeah, go, go ahead. You, you should. <laughs> and it's just I, it's just this brilliant little moment of just, like, it's, a, it's a, such a small nod, too. But it, it communicates so much, and then you get this pretty long scene with the worst foley work yes uh and i mean that in the best way it's just this nasty squelchy as like it actively disgusts my wife and because it's it's just so wet it's so good (laughs) and they let it play they oh yeah i think the camera it doesn't do like a cut into the sardine or not that i remember it just kind of it's just tom no it just it lingers like fingering the can trying to get it out and he can't do it it's so bad and then the whole time rube is staring at him (laughs) just staring yes it's such a perfect scene yeah Man, that was a good one. I think my new favorite, I might have had this as my favorite last time, but I just love, I didn't realize the trash guy, uh, socialist trash guy, is Robert Picardo from Voyager. He's the doctor from Star Trek Voyager. And just when they're dumping trash off the street, and he's like, hey man, Supreme Court ruled, once that garbage hits the sidewalk, it's public domain. And like, I don't know, it's either that or uh, after the fever dream when Tom Hanks wakes up to Mr. Rogers. And is just sort of in a, in a, an example of post traumatic stress is just mumbling along with the intro to Fred Rogers. <laughs> Fuck, that was good. I'm seeing the small pieces now that you're, we're talking about it, Joe. I can see it. There's lots of little like sight gags or just little bits that happen. We don't dwell on. We don't talk about them. They're just there. And it's just it's kind of awesome. They yeah. When he passes out outside, he has four beer cans that he drank before he passed out, and then. <laughs> 
<laughs> Art tells him about the note and he crushes two cans. Remember when he throws them down? Uh-huh. And then yeah. he's running back inside because he's flustered and Carrie Fisher hits him in the nose at the door and he picks up the other two cans that he didn't crush and does the exact same motion. That kind of stuff. I don't know. Oh. I think you have to watch it like a hundred times. I think it honestly does get better yeah. because it's just kind of subtle. And I could see how upon first, first glance you'd be like, wow, that was a a pretty boring, not very funny, and definitely not scary middle-of-the-road mo- movie about nothing. Mm. I mean, I I never saw that. I don't know. For for some reason, it just, like, got me. Yeah. Uh, like, I think the, the goofiness along with, like, the, the great performances, but I was also dying for something good. <laughs> in this stretch of movies <laughs> hoping hoping for something yeah yeah uh just i just needed a, a life preserver so <laughs> and and this was it uh yeah fuck folks go watch it <laughs> yeah, please i don't know how yeah i mean <laughs> yep shit i'll go ahead and say it it might be worth getting stars for a oh, month oh i don't know man it is. I, ha- I hate wrong. saying it. Yeah. But, I mean, if you can get it any other way than giving <laughs> Stars money like I have, go for it. But. Yeah. I think Stars has strapped itself to just about every streaming network short of the mouse hose. So you can get several free trials. <laughs> you can consume this. I mean, honestly, if you just want to boot it up day after day for a whole week, uh, you'll get the most out of that seven day free trial. And I think it'd be a pretty good watch. Oh, yeah. I think someone should watch it on Stars. We're steal it, screen grab it, and then start selling DVDs, bootleg DVDs <laughs> for three or four dollars. Because realistically, it's worth. I think it's this day and age. I think it's worth a three, four dollar rental. But nine dollars is a little high. Stars. <laughs> yeah, a little high. It's a it's a steep price, but God, is it is it a great flick? Um, uh, to to sort of pivot here, uh, next week. Uh, Luke, you and I are watching Joe versus the Volcano. Yeah. Another Stars Network piece, but thank God it's available for renting outside of a, a bootleg truck somewhere under a bridge or through I Stars mean, itself. At this point, I might watch it on Stars just so I can justify getting the, the month yeah, that fair. I purchased. But Luke, what do you think Joe versus the Volcano is about? So. I'm pretty sure I have seen Jovi Volcano as a kid. I believe we rented it from Blockbuster, so this dates that memory. So I will I will abstain largely from this, other than to say, from my foggy recollections, it's something about a volcano. I want to say Rita Wilson's in this one, too. And a, a another sort of semi-satanic plot where there's threat of human sacrifice uh, through said volcano. I better see at least one pineapple. I would love to see two Tom Hanks movies in a row where a pineapple was introduced <laughs> for little to no plot reason. <laughs> Joe, have you seen Joe vs. Vol- Volcano? No. No, I've never Okay. Even, I don't think I've even heard of it. What do you think it's about? <laughs> I just thought it, it was particularly funny that Luke didn't have the time to call, to say Joe versus the Volcano. We, did, we hit the shorthand <laughs> of Joe v. Volcano. <laughs> Which sounds honestly more interesting somehow, Joe V. Volcano. Yeah, it's JVV uh, for the insiders uh, in the Joe V. Volcano <laughs> fan club. Um, I 
I, for some reason, am getting some sort of like Journey to the Center of the Earth vibes where there's some task that Tom Hanks is forced to do where he has to like climb some volcano that no one has climbed. But I think that's a total, mm. I think that's a total misread. I have a feeling that the title's probably smarter than that, than Sharknado, you know. I, I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. Okay. Love it. Love it, man. I'm digging this whole like John Krakauer vibe, but it's yeah. for a volcano and it's shot by somebody affiliated with stars. That's going to end well. <laughs> yeah, I'm loving that. Wait, so do you know what it is? Do you know? Uh, no, I don't. I, so I, I think, so, so somehow Tom Hanks is made aware of an ancient volcano god that uh, demands a, sort of a, a carnal gift or else it will um, erupt and destroy a small Chilean village. And so I think that Tom has to take a woman, perhaps Meg Ryan, because we are getting into the 90s. Mm. He has to take Meg Ryan to the volcano and, and bed her on the side of the volcano to please this ancient uh, volcano god and, and spare that village. Interesting. I would. I honestly imagine there'd be something similar, but he would probably throw her in. But I think the bed, <laughs> better thing could probably be arranged now on the front or back end of that, depending on whatever. whatever yeah, this is we we gotta get that adult material in here if this is a stars production. So maybe Sam's yeah. on the money. We just fix that in the script. Oh, uh, hey, sex sells, folks. So yeah. he's he's gotta fuck this lady on the side of a volcano. <laughs> Uh, let's uh, let's let's start wrapping this up. So so, um, folks, thanks for for listening to another episode of Hanksy Panksy. Joe, do you do you have anything you want to plug? No, I I get. I mean, it would be it's my civic duty to plug. I technically have a podcast called the Super <laughs> Neat Podcast on Twitch TV forward slash Super Neat one two three four five. Uh, but honestly. It does not compare to this. So if you if you guys enjoy this, you might not enjoy mine. But if you like to listen to car crashes on VHS, um, then then you guys might like my podcast. So that's that's my plug. It's it's not super great. So just come in with the bar. Just know the bar is super low. And then uh, yeah, if I see you around, I. Give me a wave. I'll be here Sundays. At, oh, yeah. Sundays at 7 EST or on nice. YouTube or, or wherever. That's my point. All right. Well, folks, uh, you heard it here first. Check it out. Um, and uh, and with that, uh, Luke, do you have that final quote? I do. I'm going to need to hang on. Let me get into the, the headspace. I've been blown up. Take me to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> fuck it's a good movie um yes well well joe thank you so much uh for joining yeah. us for this episode and uh and everyone else thank you so much for listening we'll be back next week with joe versus the volcano <laughs>